Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I was attracted to women. I just thought it was going to be the thorn in my side forever. This is just my suffering for holiness, and I'm just not supposed to do anything about it. Michelle. Hey, Carling. How's it going? It's going. How are you? Yeah, I feel let down. I all morning was preparing for these thunderstorms that the weather man app was saying. Weatherman. And why is he a weather man, Carling? Because he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I like that. That makes sense. It's because Mother Nature probably sent a message and it was interpreted by the weather man. Oh, yeah. He probably was and, mansplaining it and did it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have six dogs in my house right now, and three of them are terrified of storms. Mm-hmm. And so there's like a protocol. You got to shut all the windows, turn on the radio, make sure the fountain's going, try and drown out the noise, make sure everybody has access to somewhere that they want to hide, spray the, we call it bitch spray. It's like a hormone spray like make sure everybody's cozy and then we just did a recording and i looked outside blue skies as far as the eye can see Mm -hmm. just a breeze it's beautiful out nobody's panicking so i feel like i did a lot of unnecessary closing up of my house jokes on you oh that's unfortunate yeah but that's okay how's your weekend going it's going okay i worked yesterday but that was okay it was actually nice so we weren't too busy so we got to visit a lot and oh hang out and yeah nothing really much going on i had to work yesterday too what's this working saturdays that's some bs you know that in england they are starting a pilot program of a four-day work week Ugh, of course they are and i think it needs to happen over here yeah i used to have a boss that said i don't pay you to work 40 hours a week i pay you to get a job done he was less concerned about how many hours we were working and more concerned about the job getting done. So some days, if it only took five hours, it only took five. And some days, if it took 10 hours, it took 10. And I kind of like, I'm not going to say it on air. Oh, as my phone diddlies. Yeah. So I don't know. Interesting. Oh, there was something funny. I can't remember the context now, but I just wrote it down. And I was like, you know, when you write things down and you're like, I'm going to remember why I wrote this down. Yeah. Like a cue word. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll know that. It'll all come back to me. I was having a conversation with my coworkers and someone said something was big and awkward. And I was like, so am I. But now I don't remember. (laughs) And everybody laughed. But now I don't remember what it was. So that's really a terrible story. But Well, a good comeback, though. One time in another life, I was part of a salsa troupe, like a salsa dancing troupe. And we were thinking of names. And I threw out the option of thick and chunky. Ooh. Like the because salsa. The salsa. Oh, that's, we that's were, actually genius, honestly. Yeah, we were all a little thick and chunky. Yeah, I love it. It's totally random. I go through phases where I hate salsa. I think I I hate salsa and then I go through phases where I want to eat it. Oh, funny. That's so weird. I only yeah. like salsa if it's blended. I have come up with, I don't like the chunks. Mm-hmm. That's um, And actually, I don't do that, but I want to do that because I like that you do that. Yeah. I want a smooth salsa. It's so good. I always blend my salsa. I feel like that way I actually eat it all. Yeah. Because when I have the chunks, I just dip. I don't. Yeah, I dip for the juice and I don't Mm -hmm. scoop because I don't want those cold chunks in my mouth. Gross. Um, Can you tell your salsa story? (laughs) Because I and maybe this is why I hate salsa. This is I think about it every time I'm opening a jar of salsa. I have two salsa stories. All right. So one time, and you were involved in the first one. My husband went out of town, and so we had a girls' night, and I took the salsa out of the fridge, and then I went to shake it, forgetting that I had already opened it. Mm -hmm. 
and the lid was still sitting on top, but it wasn't secure. So I shook the salsa and then all of a sudden, all I can see is red. This salsa <laughs> has exploded into my face, covering my eyes and all over my kitchen. Yeah. you And like vigorously. You weren't just going for like oh, yeah, a gentle. I was, no, I was going for it. Yeah. I think that's um, why when I go to shake something, I do hold the lid now or I check it yeah, because yeah. of that that time. Let me be a cautionary tale to you. My second salsa story is a lot grosser. I was eating nachos and they had ground beef on them. And unbeknownst to myself, a piece of ground beef went into the salsa. And then when I, and this is going to sound gross, but I'm the only one in my house that eats salsa. So I just put the remaining salsa back in the jar. Yeah. You had some in a bowl, you were dipping and then you were like, I'm done my nachos. Yeah. Put them back. Mm -hmm. The next time I go to have salsa, I'm eating it. And then that night, I am violently ill, like food poisoning like crazy. Yeah. And I had discovered it was because the old ground beef had gone back into the salsa and in turn poisoning the salsa. I instantly regret telling you to tell me that story because I feel (laughs) like I want to gag. It's so bad. I also have – this is so funny. I have a salsa – and a salsa ground beef story. And then I have another ground beef story. What? When I was younger, I was probably nine. I lived in Ontario and we would go across the border to the States. It was the time you didn't need passports or anything like that. Like you could just go to the States whenever. What a time to be alive. Right? We would go out for dinner almost every Friday night. My parents would come home from work and we would go out for dinner. So we went across the border and we went to Chi-Chi's, which was our favorite Mexican restaurant. Uh, you got like the free chips and salsa. It was amazing. Oh, yeah. So I ordered a chocolate milk, and I'm drinking the chocolate milk. Uh, No. (laughs) No. And then there's pieces in the chocolate milk. And I realized it was cooked, (laughs) but it was topping me. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) We've just lost every listener that we have ever gained on this podcast. So anyway, so I think what happened was in the kitchen, someone was like carrying a taco over top of the chocolate milk. And- <laughs> this is your fault. I hate you so much. This is your fault. This is our farewell episode. Oh, God. <laughs> that is a nightmare. Oh, it's over. Well, it was. That is a too. nightmare. I can't believe it I just gagged. It wasn't on. great. Did you get a free meal? <laughs> I don't remember. I think maybe we have they to switch free, topics. Like fried ice cream or something. Oh God! Yeah, I want ice cream now. Fried ice cream is so good. How do they fry it though? Wouldn't it melt it? They put it in. They freeze the. Well, the ice cream's obviously frozen, but then they put it in like a. I don't know if it's a batter or if it's a tortilla or something like that, and then they fry it and then they sprinkle mm-hmm. cinnamon sugar on it. It's. I know, but how does the oil not melt the ice cream? It just because the ice cream is so cold and the oil is so hot and then it's only in there for a short amount of time. It just like seals around the ice cream and you're good to go. Science, man. I don't get it. Science. Exactly. How was your week? It was, Yeah, I don't. It was fine. I tried to make it to CrossFit, but I didn't because I. You know, that felt- has happened to me consistently every day for the last <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> say 37 years. I've tried so hard to make it to CrossFit and I just can't do it. <laughs> Yeah, just every time I was going to go, there was like a like risk of hail one day. And I was like, ah, I'll just go tomorrow, which is, I don't know. That's a poor excuse. And then I felt really nauseous that day. And then I don't know. I'm going to really try and go this week, though. Yeah, I believe it. I feel like this week was so big, though. Did you have you listened to any of the boy band EP that dropped? I'm terrible, but I haven't. No, you can be honest. This is a safe space. This is a safe space where we promote our guests. No, I downloaded it because you shared about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I had forgotten. And now I can't get one of their songs out of my head. Is it the roll? Is it the Ferris No, it goes, oh, my, oh, my, oh, something kaleidoscope. It's like, oh, I know. It's like in my head. It's very like boppy. I really like it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I yeah. I have to download it. Yeah, it's really good. Then I made a post about our Patreon giveaway for June for Pride Month. I'm so excited. Yeah. So for the month of June, okay, for those that don't know, 
we have a Patreon. For those that don't know what that is, it's a monthly subscription and which is one of the many ways you can support the work that we do. For as little as $5 a month, you get two bonus episodes a month and you get entered into draws and all sorts of stuff. So for the month of June, we're doing a pride giveaway and all you have to do to enter is be a patron member. At the $5 level, you get entered once and at the $8 level, you get entered twice. And we're going to give away, I've got some Oh, I sent you a picture of the thing that I ordered. Yes, you did. I'm going to send you, uh, yeah, we're going to send a couple of little goodies, including either a t-shirt or a tank top of your choice from the boy band merch store. I also found a couple of our mugs. Ooh, we we should include a mug. made like at the very beginning of our podcast. So I was going through my room and I found a couple of them already like still wrapped up. So yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, we could send out one of those, too. And then what did we do on Wednesday, Michelle? Oh, my. We recorded Wet Wednesday. (laughs) That's the only way I'm going to say it. Yeah, we recorded our Wet Wednesday episode with our friend Julie and with your girlfriend, Lindsay. And we it was really fun. I could have talked for two hours. I know we did. We went on a couple tangents. But like that's Um, what what else is Wet Wednesday for? Exactly. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. So we do we want to talk about what we talked about or no? No, I don't think so. No, never mind. Don't even worry about it. Don't, you know what? Stop listening. This isn't mind for you. <laughs> <laughs> but we got this concept for another level of our Patreon and yes. we're going to we called it Wet Wednesday. I called it that by accident, but listeners have written in and they love it. So therefore, that is what it's called. Once a month, we're going to post a video with special guests and on our Patreon. It's going to be just so we went on Reddit and I looked up one of those tags, am I the asshole? And then people write in and you like read the situation and then you discuss. Yes. But we went all over the place. We did. We went in very many different areas, but I think it was great. And the more we drank, the more we talked. So it was perfect. Yeah, I really liked it. And we're going to release our, it's going to be released to all patrons the first or second week of July. I can't remember. I thought you said July like 13th or something. Yeah, could be. That seems like a thing I might do. (laughs) And and then just as a little teaser. So if you're interested, if you're like, what's what Wednesdays, then that sounds disgusting. Listen, (laughs) I also wanted to mention I picked up your kids on Tuesday. You did. And you did such a good job. I did it. For those who don't know what's going on, (laughs) I told Michelle I would pick up her kids from the bus stop and I forgot and Michelle had to go get them. And so I had to make it right. And on Tuesday, I set a reminder. I set an alarm. I sent Michelle a selfie while I was on my way. Yeah. You sent me like a proof of pickup picture mm-hmm. of yourself and all the kids. So yeah. It yeah. Was awesome. And then I, think I drove you did such a good job that you should do it again this week. <laughs> yeah, I probably can. <laughs> and then I took them. I We drove by what will be their new school. Yeah, we've actually you guys been there moved. a couple more times now since since you did that. And it's super fun and it's like a huge playground. So like, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. They the kids have... were like, oh my God, can we go check it out? And I was like, uh, yeah, because I'm going to uh, go check yeah. it out. Because <laughs> I'll be the first one on the monkey bars. Yeah, I pushed them all over and just ran. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's good. We're getting our life organized here, getting everyone registered for school and Got to get some summer camps figured out and yeah, yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Why don't we get into it? This week we're talking with Casey. Let's get into it. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hello, Casey. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Yeah, we're all right. Michelle's struggling with a house full of COVID, but I feel like I just got over my COVID just in time. It's a long weekend here in Canada. It's like Victoria Day. And so, and the weather's like pretty nice. So I'm finally feeling good enough to enjoy a weekend. Sorry. Can't go wrong with that. Yeah. We're super stoked to talk to you. We were joking when we first started talking that the first video I ever saw of you was talking about how you were born with no toes. 
And then yes. I saw your username, no longer a pastor's wife. And then I went into a rabbit hole of watching your videos. And I was like, this girl has a lot. I want to hear all of it. Like the toes yeah. are the least of it. That was just like the first interesting thing that caught my attention. It, it is funny that way. I joke that like I make all this content about all these other different facets of my life. That's my normal platform. The minute I post something about not having toes, it is like the most viral content in the universe and it cracks me up. I'm like, maybe they'll watch my other content too, but like the novelty of not having toes right. and is so funny to most people. So I'm probably gonna do more of it just cause it's so funny, but yeah, that's the most, one of the most memorable things about me virtually and in person. I think it's because it's so different. Like it's just shocking. But anyway, so just briefly, you were just born with no toes. Yeah, yeah, it's a limb difference or a limb reduction defect. It's pretty rare, but rare, but common in like, the 80s and 90s and is typical of usually fertility treatments so it's, it had something to do with that process and i didn't really know the name of it until i was about 13 because the internet existed at that yeah. time and so yeah. it was a little easier to figure it out but it's been i will say as far as my journey of self the journey of accepting that piece of me and being confident in it it's probably been one of my proudest achievements i think because as a Aww. kid growing up in the 90s and early 2000s there just wasn't a lot of representation of differences and so always feeling like I needed to I don't know even in my young adult life like when I met new people warned them so it wasn't like too shocking <laughs> to right. them like and really learning how to just come into my own and, and accept that not only is this me but I like this part of me and shoe shopping's a trip like when this <laughs> when, like in the kids section and they're like oh who are you shopping for and I'm like me and they're like they look at me sideways and I look down at my feet and then they get really uncomfy and I'm like yeah it's totally fine Totally fine. Yes, yeah. I'm buying size 10 ballet flats and I'm a grown woman and my daughter and I share the same shoes. It's fine. It's totally cool. That's so funny. Yeah. It's funny because I even had a couple people, I don't know if you've seen these videos, where someone tagged me in a mom who had a TikTok account whose daughter had missing limbs on her one hand. It looks a lot like my other hand because I'm not oh. only missing toes, but I'm missing some fingers. Yeah. Oh my um, God, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So she had a hand like this and someone <laughs> tagged me in it. And I duetted the video because she was talking about her journey as a mom to normalize and yeah. like body acceptance in these differences that her daughter, a young daughter, like under one, like an infant, oh, yeah. is going through and how her journey as a mom to like embrace that inclusion. And I duetted it because, and, and I said, what a difference that would have made for me as a kid to see yeah. someone else like me. Because I grew up in a small town in North Idaho. Like right. there was, we were a novelty. I was also a triplet. And so we were just like, oh wow, we, yeah, we were the novelty. Everyone right. knew us and we were a package deal. So seeing that and seeing a mom like really using tools like the internet to help know what to do. I feel so fortunate as a mom now to have access to more information to easily, to do better, yeah. to yeah. research, to better myself. I just think the representation and, and things that like has brought me to where I am today, like from, from going from like this small town in Idaho to to lots of other places to being very conservative Southern Baptist pastor's wife to now being after my second divorce, <laughs> now yeah. being an out lesbian and now moving 2,300 miles to a whole new city with my first husband as a co-parent. Like it's wild. Like yeah. it's all wild. It's like, it should probably be a movie at some point. <laughs> I think. Yes. Maybe yeah, absolutely. Okay. So how did you go from being the triplet with no toes and no fingers on one hand to being a pastor's wife. <laughs> so that's a good story. So I didn't grow up in religion. And that's what's interesting because most people that find themselves in conservative religion, in my experience, grew up in it. They're indoctrinated. I was not. My family did not press religion on us. My parents were not religious. But I was a very, shall we say, insecure teenager, like very, teenager. I don't know, just moody. And I don't know, just, I mean, most teenagers, but like ultra angsty probably and struggling for like a sense of purpose. And my parents on a whim when I was about 15 decided like, let's start going to church. And I was like, didn't have a ton of friends. And so I was like, okay, I guess this is fun. It's better than, I don't know, doing nothing. And so I started attending church and had what I would call a spiritual experience at a big youth conference called Acquire the Fire. And this was like, <laughs> I, I joke that like the propaganda of events like that target very vulnerable people 
because it's true. And I was here, yeah. I was like, certain, I mean, my brain's not even formed. I'm a, I'm a child, I'm a teenager. Yeah. And here someone's telling me like, when I feel bad about myself that maybe I'm not worth anything, or I was like, again, a super lonely teenager that didn't feel very connected. And so it was like, hey, good news. You feel worthless, that's great because you are, but better news. You're not worth anything, but Jesus died for you. And so now you have worth because he died for you and took all this punishment because you're a terrible person and you deserved this, but Jesus took it. So now you have hope in life. And the only thing Jesus asks of you is for you to give your whole life completely to him forever. Great. And it's all super. So I should feel bad about myself, but the good news yeah. is now I'm going to make a whole new identity based on the tenets of this religion. So at 15, I changed my entire personality and it's interesting to note here that I already knew I was gay. I had a girlfriend, a secret girlfriend at 13. Oh my God. That I kept from everyone. And when I tried to tell my friends I was gay, they said, you can't really know that at 13. Small like, town, no representation. You know? No, and they were like, nah, no, like it's just a phase. And so at 15, when my whole identity became about being this Christian world changer, whatever, I fell right into line with all these tenets of conservative religion. And it changed everything about me. I yeah. was like evangelizing to my friends because I thought I had found something great, something that was changing my life, giving yeah. me hope. And even my family was like, I attended my first like True Love Waits conference. Are you guys familiar with those? No. From the 90s? Oh, no. I'm so sorry. I'm going to ruin that. Is that like a celibacy thing? Oh, yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. So it's it's Purity Culture 101. Like you get a ring that says True Love Waits and it's, you make this commitment, especially women, especially young oh, girls. yeah. We make this commitment to, I'm not having sex before marriage, and I'm going to wait, and blah, blah, blah. And this is when, like, a book that became really popular called I Kiss Dating Goodbye came in, where it basically also taught you, like, dating is practicing for divorce. And so you should only date one person, and you should only date someone if you're confident that you're going to marry them. Oh, oh that's very, <laughs> that like, bugger-esque. Yeah. Oh, this is, there are thousands of us that have that bought into this idea that we could only date one person so I like and again I was all in so fast forward I try college for a year that doesn't work I go to this cult internship called Teen Mania Ministries that put on the youth event that I got saved at so I'm thinking like I'm gonna be a super Christian more or less and the whole ideal as a woman in conservative and fundamentalist religion is the ultimate is to be like a missionary or a pastor but as a woman you can't be a pastor but you yeah. can be a pastor's wife, which is like the next, next best. So I do this thing for two years, get like super indoctrinated, super crazy. And are and your parents loving it? Are your parents just oh, like, no? Oh, interesting. No. Oh, my my poor parents, they tried to talk me out of all of this. Like I told my mom about the true love waits thing. I thought she was crazy. And now I'm like, mom, you were so kind to me. I told my mom about the true love waits thing. And she was like, honey, are you sure that's a good idea? I don't oh, know that's such an interesting, because I think so often you find it, parents are like so proud when their kids get indoctrinated. Yeah, no, my parents, I think they knew that it was like I was on the crazy train because they were not religious. And even though they like were still going to church, it was a very, I would call it like pretty neutral, like even keeled kind of church, like nothing crazy. Like my parents didn't change a ton about their lives like I did, like to go yeah. off like on this far right path. And so they, they supported me even when I wanted to go to the cult. Like they were like, okay, if that's what you want to do. But they were, they always had an abundance of caution about all these things. And I learned the hard way. So did I think my parents who weren't as Christian as I was had anything to say that was good? No. I was like, you just don't understand. No, they're yeah. heathens. They hadn't accepted Jesus yet. Right. And not my version of Jesus. Yeah. They, yeah. they weren't really, they didn't really get it. And you're a triplet. Were your siblings in on it as well? Nope. Just me. <laughs> I was like the only one. And, and rightly, they were all like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And my sister came out as a lesbian while I was in the cult. And I was not kind to her. I was like, it was very upsetting to me that she came out. I loved her, but based on what I was being indoctrinated with and my own internalized homophobia, I was like, I love you, but I feel like I'm in this weird spot because technically I'm not really supposed to condone or support this. I've talked about it since. And like, there's no, I know that for 10 years of my life, I was a terrible person, especially to my family because yeah. they just didn't believe what I did. And I was so militant in, in this belief that no, this is the only way. And it's because this is the crap part. It's because the whole doctrine of fundamentalist Christianity says it doesn't matter how you feel about an issue. It doesn't matter how it affects you or anyone else. Theology yeah. is going to be the key to everything. Right. And so you have to put everything else, like you have to turn your empathy off. You have to turn off your brain, your critical thinking to just subscribe to this right ideology. And that's how I walked into being a pastor's wife because I was taught as a woman, one, my value is only in probably my marriage. And yep. two, 
that, that it's what I do. If I want to do ministry, I need to be married probably to a pastor because that's the only way I'm going to have access to teach. And I can only teach women. That's the only thing I can do. And also like to follow the right path to lead, you have to be super stringent on your theology, right? You have to walk out these principles while you teach yeah. them. And the gender roles of men and women are so incredibly toxic, but I was taught to be a good woman. You were to be more reserved, more quiet, which I am none of those things. I've never <laughs> been those things. It did not stop me from trying. And I did to my detriment try, but it also teaches you things like your value as a woman and in marriage relationships are not in sexual attraction. They're not in even really friendship. It is do your life's calling from God line up and does your theology align? And so when I met my first husband and I was interested in him because I had no standards and had never dated before, he flat out told me, he's, you are not my type and I am not attracted to you. And my dumb self so was like, romantic. Well, that's not too bad. I guess that means when I get older, like you won't be like what you wanting a younger model. And so I was like, I guess that's not everything, but he was like, but don't worry, you, you, you have good theology and I don't see any red flags. And so in my mind, I was like, great. Did he see a I, rainbow I, flag? Yeah, <laughs> I know. You should have seen that. He probably has his own, truth be right. told, um, just deeply closeted. So it was just like, okay, great. Like you're in ministry. I want to do ministry. Like this, this is great. We align. Like we're interested in kind of the same things. How old were you? 22 when I met him and was he fresh. older like about no no he was the same age as me wow. I was fresh out of my cult experience and so and again wanting to be married so bad because time is a wasting yeah. like in your 20s and yeah. so I met him he was in the Boise area to start a college ministry he was from Texas my my internship or cult was in Texas and so I was like all into southern culture of course because can you really be like a fundamentalist if you don't have like all the southern things and yeah, southern yeah. people just really get jesus oh my gosh because the northwest is so we're so unchurched that like it's they need jesus oh my gosh it was gross i found it so interesting what you're saying about like the theology part of it where even if you have people like there's these principles and you have to stick to these principles but it's these principles don't offer any leniency if you have if you're facing people in your life who are gay or who are anything that goes against it what mm -hmm do you do and how do you show them compassion and love it's just like you can't like you said you have to stick to your rules and there's no room for anything else wow yeah that's exactly true and it's a lie that we're told and we just believe because we don't want to believe that we're being unloving so what no. we would say is what i said i shouldn't say we i should say me what i said often were stupid things that would really make me mad now but i would say i love you and i care about you and it's because i love you that i'm telling you that you're lifestyle yeah. is wrong that what you did whether that be a sin or like a medical procedure oh that was wrong you should not right. have done that and i'm telling you these things in like really judgmental ways but i have believed the lie that the most loving thing i can do is get you to follow jesus because that's yeah. really what you need and so it's like this weird lie of empathy oh i'm doing the right thing by you because i love and i care for you by telling you about jesus and telling you that all these things are wrong but it is so far from that and, and like, it, the, and I had those conversations. I had many conversations with people, with my family members, even that were hurtful and terrible. And I just doubled down because I was like, no, yeah. but if you just believe this yeah. and it's in my mind, I believed I was loving them, but you can't yeah. look at someone who you are and say, like, I love you. Yeah. You're loving them because you're saving them. That's your ultimate goal is to save them. And so no matter yeah. what you have to say or what you have to do. It's all out of love because in the end they're gonna they're gonna come to Jesus. So it's like love the sinner, hate the sin. It's all about I love you so much that I'm gonna bring you on the right path when that's not their path. They don't wanna be on your path. And no. it feels so conditional. I love you yeah. with this condition. Yeah. And and it is and it's very <laughs> underhanded and manipulative because yeah. it's not I don't actually care about even my family members. Like I loved them and cared for them, but did I care about the pain I was causing them? Absolutely not. Right Absolutely not. Did I care? Like, and, and it's ironic, two things that are really, that are not lost on me in my first marriage and its demise is that one of the like most defining moments for me when I was, something is very wrong, which I said that most of my marriage, I was like, <laughs> something is very wrong. But one of them was in terms of theology that like my first husband, because he was a pastor and also because he was a man, thought he had cornered the market in our marriage of like intellectual smarts on theology. And so... I had met a friend from high school that I've known my whole life. Like we have been friends since kindergarten and he and his husband 
were in town and I wanted to see them. I hadn't seen them in like 10 years. And so I asked my husband, hey, can we meet with them for dinner or for brunch? And he's like, yeah, that sounds fine. It's like, great. We have a great time. We're talking afterwards. And I was like, man, it'd be great if they lived here. I would just love to hang out with them and see them more. He was like, yeah, maybe we could invite them to like a Bible study or something. But they would have to know that if they beforehand, before they accept Jesus, they have to know that they would not have, they would not be together if they were to follow Jesus. And I was like, <sighs> my minor disagreement, I wasn't even disagreeing with him at that time on theology. My minor disagreement was, I'm not sure that decision has to be made or clarified before someone can come to faith at all. I'm pretty sure they could work that out on their own. Yeah. And right. he and I had this blow up argument about, I can remember it like it was yesterday. And we were on our way to the store and we parked in the store and he was like, this is a big deal that we don't agree on this. This impacts our marriage. And I remember sitting there and being like, what? Like, what? I, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And the more I talked to him, the more I realized that I think this was probably like a few months later when I finally sat him down and I was like, I have to talk to you. And, and he said, okay, because I have to schedule meetings to talk to my husband. Oh. Because I don't want to burden him with my emotions. Right. That's yes. cool. And so I was like, I have a question. I said, is the reason you're so cruel to me and that you're so unloving towards me and we argue so much and things are so bad. I said, is it because when we got together, you never loved me? And then we got engaged and married that you, you just hoped that you would fall in love with me and you just never did. And like our whole relationship is just theology. And I was like, do you love me? Have you ever loved me? I have never in a million years, like I've never in my life seen relief physically wash over someone more than I did in that moment as he looked me dead in the face and told me he has never loved me My God. in seven years. I sat across from this man I gave up everything for and I was like, holy cow, never. Like you literally married me because I would be a good wife and a good yeah. mom. Yeah. And we had the same theology. And he was like, but don't worry. And literally next out of his breath, this is great news, Case. I was like, come again? He's it's like an arranged marriage. Missionaries do this all the time to go overseas. I can learn to love you. What? Did he grow up in the church? His family wasn't expressed like super religious, but he did get really active in church as a kid and a teenager. Mm. So he like had some church experience and then got more into church as he was growing up as a teenager and a college student. And he really idolized his college collegiate pastor. He was a very good influence on him. And it just really, and especially being in the South, I think that undertone of religion gave him a lot of the same background. But I really think as he grew up, he went to I don't know if you guys are familiar with this thing called like the summit. It's a conference in Colorado Springs. Uh -huh. It talks about like teaches like fundamentalist doctrine to college students to try to defend their faith in college. He went to that, bought into it. This is before he met me. And so we both had these experiences that led us into fundamentalists. He was already a Southern Baptist. I was not when he and I met, but it, I basically was by theology. Yeah. It's just, it all is very ironic <laughs> now because even as I journeyed through the next couple of years before I came out as a lesbian, even in my first marriage as a pastor's wife, I was attracted to women. And I was honest with that. I just thought it was going to be the thorn in my side forever. Like I just did. I was like, this is just my lot in life. My suffering for holiness is that I'm attracted to women and I'm just not supposed to do anything about it. I had settled for that and just kept shrinking myself in that marriage yeah. more and more until I was circling the drain. And and after the conversation, when he told me he never loved me, it was like this huge wake up call. And I was like, I am so depressed and unhappy. And I had a daughter and she was only, gosh, I think she was a year and a half maybe oh. at that time when I left. And I was yeah. like, I can't even feel successful as a mom, which I love being a mom. And I, I would yeah. say I'm a pretty great mom. And it was my only joy at that time. And even then I felt like I was barely hanging on to life. Right. And so I was like, something is, something has to change in, in me, for me. And if this religion that I've bought into or this version of it, I'm doing all the right things and I'm still this miserable. And then I'm now in a marriage where nothing is good in it. I'm not getting anything I need. And I'm unloved. I was like, Ooh. oh, like, no, I just, it was, it was the end. And I knew it was a matter of survival at that point. I was like, right. I either have to get out or I'm going to die. I just will be, I will cease to exist. Yeah. If I stay. How did the, I know being that religious, like divorce is not an answer. So how did that go? <laughs> not well. It started out with, I left him in November and I had read a book called Why Does He Do That by Lundy Bancroft. It's about domestic violence. And this was given to me by another former pastor's wife that said, Hey, I think you're in an abusive marriage. And my first husband never was never very physically aggressive with me. Intimidating, yes, but not very, he never hit me. And so I was like, I'm not in an abusive marriage. Well, I read this book and I was like, who has been seeing my life for the past seven years? This is so much deeper than I, I ever realized. And so I went to my husband and I said, you have been abusive to me our entire marriage. And he admitted that. He was like, I have. And I was like, okay, this is a problem. 
and we're in ministry, so it's extra problematic. Yeah. So I need you to take a break for us to figure this out if we're going to save our marriage. And I said, and I think that starts by us talking to your board of directors. So we went to his board of directors and he told me, he said, I'm going to tell them that I've been abusive. I said, okay, great. You think that's how that went? No, it's not how that went. Instead, I said, he has been abusive in these ways. And he sat there and he was like, yeah, I have. But this is what these men, these Southern Baptist pastors looked at me and said, Casey, that sounds really hard. Have you talked to other pastors' wives about the cost of being in ministry? I was like, what did you say? Yes. But what does that have to do with where we're at, like right now? And they're like, obviously we support you. And then they told my my husband, they said, hey, we don't want you to make any rash decisions about the ministry. If you need some a little bit of time off, that's fine. But don't make any rash decisions about not being in the ministry anymore just because of the state of your marriage. Ouch. Because God is calling on your life. And this is just a distraction and an attack from the enemy. And so those same men, none of them, and they all knew me very well. Those same men that sat in that room with me while I detailed this abuse. Do you think one of them checked in on me after that meeting? No. Not a single one. Did their wives? No. And well, they all so, had wives at home that were being treated the same way. Because that's the sacrifice that you have to make to be a pastor's wife. Oh, exactly. That blows my mind. I was just listening to the wrong people because I was friends. Yeah. I had gotten close to some friends that were Christians, but not Southern Baptists that were helping me through this. I was staying with them. So the whole narrative this time was like, Casey's just listening to people that aren't in the church. because They're not Southern Baptist. Yeah. They're people with more liberal theology. They don't value marriage or the ministry, or understand it like we do. And so when I finally filed for divorce, uh, because my first husband didn't quit the ministry, wouldn't quit it, and then backtracked and said, I haven't been abusive to you. I mean, how do I know? How do I know that what you're saying is true about me? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Because it happened to me? Maybe that's how. But I'm a woman. I guess not. So when I filed for divorce, the church came out of the woodwork to harass me mercilessly to stop the divorce. Like they told me that I needed the church's permission to divorce my husband. And was there a point where maybe a deconstruction of religion started happening? Yeah. During this time, it really, it did. And it's interesting how stair-steppy that feels now, because it was like, I was losing everything. These, this community of hundreds of thousands of people that I was intimately involved with in our area, they all knew me. They had supported me. They helped with our adoption of our daughter. Like they were intimately involved in our lives and all of them left me. Like, and they all said the same thing. We love you. We care about you no matter what. Yeah, that's a lie. And because at that point they're just casting me out and giving me over to my own sins because I have not listened. I was losing everything. And I was like, okay, I couldn't lose my faith completely at that point. And so I entered into a more mainstream Christian church at that point in into the Celebrate Recovery community because my friend was really involved with them to try to find like a landing place to figure things out. But even in that space, I knew like, I was like, I don't think anything in this religious space is for me. I don't think any of it actually aligns with who I am, but I couldn't lose it all at the same time. So I was like lying to myself for about a year or so. Yeah, it probably feels more comfortable to step, like you said, to step into maybe not as such an extreme religion, but you're still in the church and you're still practicing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't lose everything. And, And that part of me, that faith part of me, had been my identity since I was 15 and I was 27 when I left. So it was like my whole adult life. And so I couldn't quite like rationalize just giving up all of that, which is also how I ended up in my second marriage so quickly. I got remarried six months after my divorce to a man that was my best friend that I knew from the ministry of college students because he was my best friend and he'd always been there for me. And then it turned into really quick, see? Yeah. Romance only yeah. to find myself in another abusive marriage for three years. Was your family, when you said, like, I'm getting a divorce, leaving the ministry, were they like, woo woo? Oh, they were, so, they yeah. were so happy. They were so happy. They were like, you're always going to have to have him around because he's your daughter's dad. Yeah. But we know that you have not been you for a very long time. Yeah. Like they knew and they suffered because of that, but they were really excited. They did not want me to get married again really quickly. They were right. I, again, in pure me form, learns the hard way. So I'm like, it's fine. I know what I'm doing. And was your lesbian (laughs) sister ever like, hey, Casey, this is your chance to like be a lesbian? No, she didn't. And it's funny because I should ask her when I talk to her tomorrow. But I should ask her if she ever thought that I I was gay because we never really talked about it growing up. She puts it this way that we didn't know. She knew she she liked women, but she didn't know there was like a word for it. She didn't know that she was a lesbian. She just knew she was attracted to women. Yeah. But didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. And so... 
I should ask her that question if she ever was like curious if I was going to be gay because it probably was very obvious to most people that knew me. It was obvious after I came out that they were like, there's no question about that. And so I should ask her, but like she, my sister is very supportive in that she will always support whatever decision I make, even if she's like gently, are you sure that's a good idea? I'll love and support you, but me sure. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. And she's like, ooh. But my family's like, like they're, they're all like that. They'll support me no matter what. But they're, they're, are you sure that's a good idea? We're a little worried about this. And I've had enough hard lessons recently that I'm like, oh, maybe I should start listening to that. Just to <laughs> yeah. Instead of being like the unruly teenager that I think that still lives inside me. That's I'm going to do what I want when I'm like, oh, maybe there's wisdom there. Yeah. So maybe I should slow down a little bit. Yeah. Um, and they lovingly were like, they wanted me to figure out who I was after right. that first divorce. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. I know who I am. Thinking that leaving behind that first marriage and religion was going to make my life better. But instead, like, I signed up for a marriage to someone that I thought I knew because I'd known him for eight years. And then six months after we got married, things turned sideways. And I was like, you are not who I've known for all this time. Oh, and no. And my parents, again, my mom, God love her, like two years ago, my second husband left me over something so stupid, packed up all his things and left me. Wow. So right after my first divorce, when he and I started dating, I had someone reach out to me that I knew from high school that was lesbian and that wanted to see me. And I was like, oh no. I was like, oh, is she going to ask me out? And so I told him this and I, because he knew I wasn't straight. I was very honest with that, with him. I was like, I am not straight, but I love you and I want to be with you. At the time, I think I'm would have identified as a bisexual. But as our relationship continued, even after we got married, it wasn't long. It was before he left, probably the fall before. So like maybe nine months into our relationship that I was like, oh, hey, question. Or maybe a year into our relationship. I was like, I think I missed a step. And I really think I might regret like that I didn't explore this part of me. So can we talk about that? And we had decided or made a decision to explore opening our relationship that I could have a full spectrum of sexuality. So that was going on while a little bit while he around the time he left me very infant stages though. Nothing like had happened yet. That was like super emotional for me in terms of meeting. But when he left me, it was very clear that like our maturity levels were not the same. Even like how we operated in relationships. I was his first, I was his first. Oh, and I was the first serious relationship. So like, yeah, it wasn't a great idea. It was not, but I had still had that fundamentalist viewpoint that like, if you work on a relationship hard enough, it will work. Yeah. If you both put in the work, it you can make it work. So that's what I, that's what I was trying to do. And even when he left, my mom lovingly was like, honey, I don't think he can ever be what you're going to actually need in a partner. And I was like, no mom, like, but we're going to counseling and she's okay. She's, I just don't know. I just don't think he can change these parts of him. And my mom was right. She was totally right. She was seeing things very clearly. But again, like eternal optimist was like, they can change. Like it's, they only get in my face and shove me and react violently to me sometimes. I mean, only packaged the stuff and left me and then stole $10,000 for me. That's oh, God. Fine. Yeah. But at least he loves me. At least right. he loves me. That's what I said. At it least was a he step loved up. me. Yeah. Because I could deal with, because those behaviors could change. But like he was in love with me. Which the biggest betrayal in my first marriage was that I was unloved. Yeah. And so I used all these things in my second marriage while also knowing deep within myself that I didn't take the time to explore who I was because I knew I was gay. I knew it. But I wanted to not ruin his life or my own because I was comfortable. So it just kept unraveling the harder I tried to make it work. Did the new church that you were part of, the new religion... Where was it like, it's okay that you're gay, but just live a straight life? Yeah, yeah like you could be attracted to the same gender, but you still couldn't be gay. In fact, right. the, the Celebrate Recovery that I was part of, they wanted me to be on leadership. But one of the requirements, there's a few requirements. One, you had to be celibate or monogamous, and I was not. And two, like you could not indicate at all that you were anything but straight. And they had like, don't ask, don't tell. But I was like, that feels so wrong to me. Yeah. Because what, I have to hide this part of myself? I, I'm okay with trusting certain people with that knowledge at the time. I wasn't out yet. But I was like, to completely have to sign something that says that I am yeah. these things when I know I am not, yeah. absolutely not will I do that. I was raised in the Catholic church. And I remember watching this video like years and years ago called The Third Way. And it's basically, you can, the third way is that you can have same-sex attraction and you can be gay, but you can't act on that. Oh. So you... You yeah. need to be cool. Like, so the church loves you no matter what. 
And usually if you're gay, it means that you didn't have a father figure in your life mm-hmm. or, or you didn't play enough sports. And I remember being so upset and being like, so these people have to go without love, without relationships, without anything just for God. Like that, this can't because be Because right. you're supposed to be happier. Like your, yeah. your happiness is supposed to be tied to this faith and that's a deeper joy and worth the sacrifice. Yeah. I said that yeah. same crap. I yeah, listened you- to that same crap. I would research. It's so unfortunate. I would research how to like not be gay. Like yeah. how do I, like I, I, there was this conference that I went to that was like as a college pastor's wife that I was, I sat in two sessions that were two hours long, all about how you can help your college students not be gay. And here's oh all the reasons God. they're gay. And I'm sitting in this personally identifying myself. And I'm like, is this what's, is this what's wrong with me? Is this, is it yeah. because of all those things you listed? Is it trauma? Is it lack of trust? Is it yeah. that I didn't, I, I wasn't nurtured? I don't know. Like yeah. all these things. I, I like put myself in a position to almost be like, what is decon? It's like deconversion therapy, right? right. To like be straight. Yeah. And then I did that to other people because I was doing it to myself, thinking and believing that if I just believed in my faith enough and, and loved my faith enough and found joy, then like Jesus would be enough. And that was never true in any realm of my life, let alone my sexuality. It's it's so toxic and terrible. Like, and can you even imagine if the world was created by God, could you even imagine him being like, okay, half of you are going to be happy and in relationships and love, and the rest of you are going to be miserable for the rest of your lives. But as long as you love me, everything will be fine. Like, it makes no sense. But to me, it's not, it's not Jesus. It's the church. It's the perception of who he was. Yeah, when, the interpretation, you know, yeah. The interpretation of who he was by men who are trying to control a society, control people, yeah, make things a certain way. Jesus was probably like, what the fuck, you guys? Like, <laughs> didn't say <laughs> any of this. <laughs> and, and it's funny because all these things in religion, I can't escape. And this is why a lot of people on my TikTok platform, like, why do you still talk about this? I'm like, because I still have to deal with it because I co-parent with someone that holds these beliefs and it is doubling down on the indoctrination now that I came out as a lesbian. Oh, like, interesting. Doubling down so there was it. no deconstruction from the first marriage from the husband. No, no. He is still very much a Southern Baptist. He's still very much is in line with the same theology. And even though we're moving across the country together, uh, <laughs> which I'm questioning my sanity about. Yeah. It, the benefit to me in that is that we're moving to Atlanta, which has a really strong, diverse community, including queer representation. In Idaho, there is not that at all. Right. And while there's a strong, like, Southern Baptist presence there, too, at least, fingers crossed, there will be enough opportunity for Adeline and I to be in spaces where she can continue to see representation and normalize it. She's already so smart that she's already asking questions about, like, why certain things are the way they are. Like, she asked me the other day. Jeez, two weeks ago, mom is a dad's job to provide and protect for his children. And a mom's job is to stay home and teach the children. And I said, that's interesting because families are made up of all different people. There's not always a mom or a dad. Sometimes there's two dads. Sometimes there's two moms. What do you think that's like for them? What if a dad stays home? What if there are three moms? Yeah. Two dads. Well, that would be a big family with lots of love, huh? Six moms and seven dads. Yeah, hey, the chores would be super easy. That's a lot of mouths to feed, though. Yeah. So, like, we we just, I just have to really try to normalize those that curiosity. Yeah. But it can be so triggering for me to hear these things that, that I know damaged me so severely and hear my daughter, like, regurgitate them. Like, yeah. fears about me going to hell, fears about what's going to happen to mom. Like, you can't get married because God says and, like, all these things. And it's just, like a secondhand abuse almost. Yeah. That's just like parents to a next level. That's mm-hmm. even different than having someone who like parents a little bit differently than you, but it's like when they're complete, I don't know, everything is completely different. And when you're sending your child away and they're going to be t- told things that are not true or not aligned with what you think and damaging to you, like for her to hear things like that about you, that's yeah. terrifying to a child. So how do you co-parent? Do you guys have honest conversations? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> do we? Yes. How, how does that work for you? How do you think mom and dad get along? Do you think mom and dad get along great? How do mom and dad talk most of the time? Do you know? Kind of good. Oh, kind of good? Half. Oh, that's good. 
we yes. the move has actually helped us a little bit. So co-parenting is a challenge and it hasn't, I am so grateful. I am so grateful that I have a secular therapist that's tr- religious trauma informed oh, because wow. there is no way, there is no way I would have survived the first year or the last year of co-parenting without her because it, of all the triggers that were encompassing. So what I do often is I have to not make it about him, like me fighting his indoctrination, but I have to make it about approaching my parenting to Adeline with curiosity and then separately right. taking to him any issues like to says, hey i had a meeting with him about easter a year ago because he was describing in graphic horrific detail the crucifixion that yeah. she was regurgitating and suffering anxiety from and i went to him and i said this is really traumatic for adeline was not even five so she was four i was like yeah. she's upset She's coming to my house upset. I don't think this is appropriate. How can we move forward? Like, how can we overcome this or help her feel safe? And he's like, nope, it's totally appropriate. And I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because it's my responsibility. Because remember, Southern Baptists and fundamentalists, their whole job is to take tiny humans and make them into fundamentalists. That is their entire job. That's their discipleship. So it puts me in a really hard spot because I am the exact opposite, especially now. And so a few ways that works for us is I have to keep things to, to child focus to say, Here's what she's experiencing, but it's not easy. Like it's not easy at all. And, and to some degree, what I've had to do is make what I would call creative decisions. Like the school I chose for her is very diverse oriented, very, very queer friendly. And he saw that originally as a ministry opportunity. And so we were attending an event one time on his custody time, but I was invited by him and I was parenting because that's how it normally works when we're together. One of us parents, it's usually me. And he was upset that we were at a reading corner that it was full of LGBTQIA books. She wanted to, she loves reading. And he, I said, Adeline, what do you want to do next? Do you want to go back to the reading corner? Do something else? She goes, oh, we're going to go to the reading corner. And he looked at me and he was like, he's like, Casey. And I hate it when that man says my name because he says it was such a formality. <laughs> and I'm literally like, it took all I have now to be turned around and be like, get my name out of your mouth like you do not get to talk you do not get to say it you have no privileges to it yeah and so I turned around and I was like what and he was like come on this is my custody time he's offended that I'm like taking her to this reading corner at a school event this isn't like the Casey show yeah like Casey's indoctrination and so I got like a foot from his face and I was like this is a school event I did not organize it we are participating in the school event you are standing in the cotton candy line I am parenting yeah you didn't like sneak in all the books to the school and be like, put these in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> like, and so we did it anyway. And he sent me a threatening text that said, essentially, if I didn't quit participating in the reading corner with Adeline, he was going to take her. And we were, they were going to leave. Oh. And I was like, get it, bro. Like you were outnumbered. You were outnumbered yeah. in so many ways. Co-parenting is like next to, it's not, it's parallel parenting more than it is right. co-parenting. Even with this move, like. I was just talking to a friend today about the move because he's already secured housing and I'm about to. And I was like, hey, please don't price me out of where I can live near you, like within 10 minutes. What do you think you did? Price me out of where I can live with him within 10 minutes. And so I was like, my friend was like, don't you have primary custody, Casey? Like more than him? And I was like, yeah. She's like, so why do you have to go to the school district in where he lives? And I was like, right. Huh. Yeah. Thanks. I forgot that I had that choice. And I was like, you're right. And so those power dynamics of our old relationship and our old marriage are still sometimes at play for me five years later where it's like, Oh, you're right. I don't have to let him choose just because he got a house first. Like, right. I have choices. So even just that, like parallel parenting and trying to figure out how to do this when we have such opposing views, such opposing views in life and and letting Adeline make those choices. And I tell Adeline all the time, if you want to believe what your dad believes, I will always love you. Yeah. I will always love you. No matter what. My dad says, um, um, always love you. Your dad does say that. That is very true. And I think he really believes that. It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) But at the end of the day, really for parenting, uh, even for me, parenting, like one thing that I think has been the best thing for me is knowing that my emotional connection to my daughter and that, and the trust that I have with her is going to pay off in the future no matter what she decides and no matter what her dad's influence is. And she has yeah. to make that choice for her about what that's going to be like. Yeah, I think what's sad in these situations when there's parallel parenting is one, like those, she, there's a chance that she's not going to want to carry on a relationship with him once she's 12 or 14 or 16 or 18. Like there's going to be a time where that questioning and that curiosity and she'll really start, it's very unlikely that even if she was evangelist. Event, how do you say it? Evangelized? Evangelized? 
evangelized. Yeah. She'll still love you because you're setting this standard. Whereas his seems very conditional based on the religion. It's been a lot of people's experience. And I've heard that feedback from people who grew up in it and they even experience it. And that gives me oddly a lot of hope. And I already see it happening in their relationship even now as a five-year-old. And that's really sad to me because I get to experience so much fulfillment in my parent-child relationship because I'm emotionally connected, emotionally safe. And and that we get, I get this like sweet, unfiltered version of her. And like when I interact with her on her dad's custody time, it's a very different version of her. And it's very interesting to watch and sad to me to watch that he's literally because of his beliefs and indoctrination and his standards is missing out on this core shining part of her that is just a lot. But yeah. it's good. Like, it's fun and it's enjoyable. And, and and she feels the difference. She feels the difference between our environments. And it makes me sad for him that because of his beliefs that he's shaping her or, or stifling her and his yeah. experience with her. She's so, learning even from that age that her love or her interaction with her dad is conditional. Yeah. And it's just like the gospel. Yeah. So how did this move come about? Did he get a job and he's, I'm moving and you have to come with me? Nope. It was my idea. It was my like pipe dream. So my life was falling apart and has fallen apart here. I'm like burning it to the ground for the second time. Went through my (laughs) second divorce and then was dating a woman that I was madly in love with. And that relationship ended. And like, I had a remote job. I got laid off from my job, was having to sell my house. And I was looking at my life going, it is so expensive to live here so expensive like Boise the Boise area is known for outrageous housing prices both rentals or real estate and going from a two income house to a one income house I was like I I cannot afford to live here like I literally have no idea what I'm gonna do because my second divorce drained me financially and so I on a whim asked her dad hey, would you ever consider relocating? Because my best friend lives in Atlanta and she's always begging me to come see her and to come live there. And he was like, well, I would go to the South because it's cheaper to live there and I miss it. And I said, well, the only place I'm willing to go is Atlanta. And he was throwing out like Texas, which we all know the, why that's yeah. a hard no. That yeah. will never happen. And then he was like, Kentucky. And I was like, absolutely not. And then one of the South Carolinas. And I was like, also no. Um, yeah. So the only place I'm willing to go is Atlanta. And to my shock, he was like, okay, let's do it. And I thought I had a whole year to plan this. He was like, oh yeah, but it needs to be by like mid-July. This is March that we're having this discussion. Oh God. It needs to be by like mid-July because a lot can, he's so, because a lot can change in my life in a year. And I don't know that I'm going to be up to relocating in a year, like oh, committing to that. Right. I'm like, you're so dumb, but okay. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, I have a couple friends here. My family is five hours North of me, but because of COVID, I haven't seen them in a couple years. So we, all of our interactions have been on FaceTime and like all of these weird things aligned. Like my therapist lives in Atlanta. Weird. Oh, my, my coworker that I am really close to from a couple jobs ago is moving to Atlanta. One of the people in my friend group is moving to Atlanta. I was like, this is weird. Like this feels aligned. Yeah. And so I was like, I guess we're going to start over and move to Atlanta and like leaving behind everything that's been here, like his community that rejected me and me leaving behind a husband that he knew, I think also has helped our co-parenting. Let's put us on a little bit more equal footing. Right. And so this move is going to be really interesting. He's really excited because of all the church-based programs that are in the South. I'm excited because there's a ton of queer community in Atlanta and it gets to start over. I'm not going to be known anymore as the former pastor's wife who then married a former college student of the ministry who then divorced him and is out as a lesbian. Like that's a really (laughs) big label to carry in a smaller community. And I'd really like to not be defined by that anymore, especially by people in his life and people in my daughter's life that knew me before. And so it's like, I still can't believe I'm doing it. I leave on Sunday, like next Sunday. And I'm like, am I really about to do this? And I was like, I am because I'm doing it. So We'll, we'll see what that's going to be like because it's a whole new adventure. Yeah. And so is your ex remarried? Is he with anybody that's coming? No. And but that's the surprising part. I really did anticipate that he was going to remarry quickly. But yeah. Southern Baptists are weird about divorce. They have these unspoken oh. timeline rules. Oh. And like the church, let's not get twisted. The church told him he could continue in the ministry. No one took it from him. He quit oh, the ministry interesting. to go get a secular job. I think he was burnt out. We'd been doing it for a really long time. And he said that, ironically, he was like, you stole the joy of ministry from me. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, oh. obviously. He didn't know I had that much power. That's weird. Cause like yeah. I asked you to give it up and you were like, no. And then I divorced you and you were like, it's your fault. That's yeah. weird. But he's not remarried. I have a theory that he's probably a very deeply closeted gay man. 
That's my theory. I think that the move to a more Southern state will help him find a wife and probably a church that will continue to, what's the word, give you a pass essentially on a divorce. Right. If the church signs off on the fact that you like ha had an unbelieving wife, which they'll, or the wife committed adultery. And, and they will say both those things about me. One, because I got together with, with my second husband immediately after the divorce. So they assumed that I had an affair and I did not. And secondly, that because I divorced him and then did all these things that I never believed in the first place. And so I was unbelieving. So they'll give him a pass on that. His struggle up here up north has been finding someone that's okay with that because there's not a big like fundamentalist Southern Baptist pool out here. And the ones that are have very strict families that would basically tell them you will not marry divorced man, no matter if they've been in ministry, no matter what, like that is not for you. So I think his prospects in the South will be better. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple of years that he finds a wife, which honestly I hope that for him, because I think for the sake of our daughter, having an actual nurturing person in, in her right. life in his house will be good, but like also weird. Like I'm like, hmm, that yeah. would add, that's going to add another layer that's interesting, but we'll see. I don't know. I'm shocked that it's taken him this long, but I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't take him long once we move. And then I think he would probably, the logical end to that after he gets married again, will be the, he'll go back to ministry. I think that's right. probably what he's waiting for. So it's weird. Wow. It's a weird dynamic that he and I share. And uh, yeah. and I'm sure he looks at me like he doesn't even know me, which is probably true because this was me just buried deep inside. Yeah. And, but not the woman that he knew when he chose to marry me, even though he didn't love me. Yeah, I'm not her that's anymore. Wild. <laughs> wow. And to admit wow. that feels so, I don't know, brazen, but I guess that's just part of the cult. I mean, it is. Yeah. Love, love is a choice. Oh, right. gross. I hate that phrase so bad, but that's the narrative. Yeah. You can choose to love someone. It doesn't have to be a feeling. Right. Or an attraction. It's a choice. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. yeah. My so God. yeah, so that's the dumpster fire that has been my like last 10 years. It's been great. It's been an adventure. And when you came out as a lesbian, was your family excited for you? Or were they just as cautious as they were about anything else? Or were they just like, finally? I think they were a little confused and a little cautious. They were like, that's great for you, but what are you doing? Because again, they have seen me just continue to reinvent myself. Right. And, and, and then again, my poor mothers, please just be you and Adeline <laughs> for a while. Please don't rush into another relationship. Now, have I dated a ton and got gotten really attached? Absolutely. But my poor mother is just begging me. She's like, just find something like peaceful. I asked her what she wanted for Mother's Day this year. And she was like, I would like your life not to be so chaotic. And I was like, me too. I'm I'm behind that gift. I don't think I can give it to you this Mother's Day, maybe next year. Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, fair enough, mom. Like, fair enough. They really, they were supportive. But again, like, they're just looking at my dumpster fire too and going, oh, this one is going to give us all the gray hairs because literally she just does her own thing, which I do. Yeah. I just blaze my own path. And, but they've been great. My family in this divorce and in all the chaos of the last couple of months has helped me a lot. And supported me a lot trying to help me get back on my feet and I'm super grateful for that I think there was a time that I didn't think that I would have that and so having it with them has been really great now because we don't have the baggage of the religion now on the back end but it's like we're re-getting to know each other which is an interesting experience I think yeah. for both of us or all of us yeah that's amazing wow. I love that yeah. I can't believe we like covered even from the toes to the, the other end all. Yeah. I know. I'm impressed. We covered a lot of ground here. This is impressive. And we did it with two five-year-olds running around, like one on Michelle's end, one on your end. I know. And then a dog on your end. Yeah. I so appreciate being here. Thank you guys for reaching out to me and giving me a chance to, sh to share the chaos and yeah. the unpacking of all the things. <laughs> no, that's great. We're so appreciative. Like I said, as soon as I saw like a couple of your videos, I was like, she sounds like she's had so many interesting stories and that's what we're all about. So many. Yeah. And I, I just appreciate that so much. And it's that there's more to come. So like yeah. I tell my therapist <laughs> after every session, I'm like, stay tuned for the next episode of the dumpster fire that is my life. I'll catch you up next week. Yeah. And she's just like, oh my gosh, Casey. She's like, all right. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to be back in six months to be like, okay, how's Atlanta? What's going yeah. on? Is your yeah. ex-husband married now? <laughs> wouldn't that be a tip? Yeah, might I be. I wouldn't put it past him. Oh my gosh. Good luck with your move. I It's going to be crazy, but I think so worth it. Yeah. You guys hang in there and Michelle, I hope you feel better. And your kiddos, I'm so sorry. Thank you. <laughs> Are you going to be okay with all of you being sick? Do you have people that will drop things at your doorstep to make sure you survive? I'll drop off all yeah. the care packages. I'll wear like a hazmat suit. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Casey, thank you so much. And we hope you have a great day. And tell Adeline that I hope she has a great day too. All right, guys, we will talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. 
Oh my gosh, Casey, thank you so much for being on our show. Your face I when I say I it. I know every time what you're going to say. I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was so great. But like genuinely every time I am so thankful. Absolutely. We can't believe that people say yes to us when we ask to interview them. Yeah. And she said she had such a good time and she's made some posts about it. And it was awesome. Anytime we can talk about religious trauma, I'm like, huh? Yep. Yeah. I, <laughs> that uh, too. I feel that. <laughs> we should have talked about it in our intro. I just thought about it. But it was mm. so funny because she was trying to keep her daughter distracted. Yes. Um, And she kept coming over and talking. And then your daughter, both five, yeah. kept coming in and just like staring into the camera. Mm-hmm. And then we tried to introduce them. We're like, well, like, why don't you guys like say hi? Yeah. And then they just wouldn't acknowledge no. each other. No. Kids are so awkward. Kids around. are. Like my kids have started playing with the girl next door and they're just weird. They just stand there and it's just go. Don't be a weirdo. But yeah, it's funny. That is funny. It is funny. I'm going to spend a good chunk of my day working on our merch. Oh my. I need to order a tank top because now it's summer and I love my, I did not sign up for this t-shirt and hoodie. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, now I need, like, shorts and a tank top. Now you need shorts, a tank top, and, like, a visor or something. Yes. Yeah. Can we get is velour? Is that the – or, like, those crushed velvet shorts? Yeah. And, and across the I butt? And for this, across the butt. Yeah. There you go. That's great. I love that. We are going to record a Patreon. And then – oh, yeah. This week we have a Patreon coming out. It's our second Pride episode with a trans man named Devin. I know. That was such a great episode. Yeah. Uh, great. Well, I hope you have a great week. I will pick up your kids on Tuesday. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. And I will also get to CrossFit. You will. And I will, again, attempt to get to CrossFit. <laughs> great. I love that. <laughs> I don't even know where it is, so it might be a challenge. <laughs> yeah. You'll find it. You'll find it. All right. Have a good one. All right. Okay. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye.